morning, church. Fantastic to have you here this morning. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, Old Testament minor prophet. Uh, We'll be picking up where we left off last week. Before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for this new year, this reminder to continue to move forward as the the year end and the new beginning kind of give us purpose to continue to work in in different areas of our lives we'd like to see changed. Lord, we thank you that your word is so free and, and open to us today in this in this country in this place and we just ask that you would you would you would fill our hearts with a desire and a, a draw toward it Lord we thank you for the words of Habakkuk and while they are challenging we know that uh, your spirit will teach us uh, through them Lord we thank you most of all for your son Jesus and his work on the cross and in his resurrection and we pray this all in his precious in holy name, amen. Like I said, turn to the book of Habakkuk. If you don't want to go to your table of contents, find Matthew, a little bit easier to find, and then move back in the book, in the Bible. Eventually you'll run into it. Chapter 1, verse 12 and following. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors? And remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. You make mankind like the fish of the sea. Like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at the watchtower and my watchpost. And station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answers me, write the vision and make it clear, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. 
Behold, his soul is puffed up and not and is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine as a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects and collects as his own all peoples. Father, we again ask that your spirit would teach us what these words have to say to us. In Jesus' name. So like I said, we're picking up where we left off last week. Again, as a brief reminder of, of what we're what we're looking at here in the book of Habakkuk. This is, is a prophet. It's a shorter one, mostly because he's got a particular message to give. But unlike the other prophets in the Old Testament, Habakkuk is not accusing a people group like Israel or Judah or, or even, even Assyria, but is accusing God. Now right off the bat, we, we have to kind of wrap our minds around maybe what we would call the arrogance of Habakkuk for calling, calling God out on something that he feels is wrong. Uh, but I think as we look today, we'll see, we'll see Habakkuk's heart is probably not arrogant. Last week, we picked up on the first exchange in this conversation between Habakkuk and God. The first thing that Habakkuk says is, what's going on? Why, why are the, the, the unjust having good things happen to them and the, and the just having bad things happen to them? And contextually speaking, we know that Habakkuk, he's not talking about a foreign nation coming in and oppressing. He's talking about the rulers of Israel at this point, southern kingdom of Judah. He's talking about how they have, they have come in and they have they've done whatever they wanted, violated uh, rights and responsibilities, and have done little, if anything, to lead the people in worship of God. So much so that they have perverted, and in a lot of ways, destroyed God's law amongst the people of Israel. Verse 4 of chapter 1, so the law is paralyzed, he says. And then God responds, and God responds in a way that for most make us feel just a little bit uncomfortable. Habakkuk is he's mad at God for allowing the people of Israel to get away with injustice, and then God says, Okay, but I have a plan, and I'm gonna execute that plan in my timing, and when I tell you what that plan is, you're not gonna believe it. And he goes on to say in verse 5, I am doing a work that you will not believe. And then in verse 6, excuse me, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Chaldeans are the Babylonians. The Babylonians are, are considered to be some of the most heinous and vile people to ever walk the earth. And God obviously thinks no differently of them. A bitter and hasty nation, taking what is not their own. Uh, they, they go to war for violence sake. They scoff and destroy, and he ends with guilty men in verse 11. 
And Habakkuk, exactly like God tells him, has a hard time believing it. And so Habakkuk responds, and this is where we pick up the conversation in verse 12 to 2-1. He says, You are not, or are you not, excuse me, from everlasting. O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. Now I want to make a note here. And I don't think this is what Habakkuk's goal is, but I think as we observe Habakkuk, I think we should probably uh, follow suit. The Old Testament is full of the people of God challenging God. Now, many of them challenge God as God. They follow after Baal, they worship false gods, they turn away from him, they challenge him by their actions. But then you have people like Habakkuk and Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations and David throughout the book of Psalms who challenge God to God's face. And I've said on multiple occasions that perhaps we should take notes because many of us with a false sense of, of humility, and I'm, maybe I'm going to be a little bit harsh here, but bear with me. But the false sense of humility say, well, I could never question God. But yet, throughout the whole of the Old Testament, God is, is, in a lot of ways, begging us to have an open and real conversation. Because the reality is, is that really all of us, at some point, have questioned God in what we see. We look at God and we go, how could this possibly happen? Every single time a, a, a heinous thing happens on the news, we go, what, where was God? But then we don't turn to God and give him the credit of being in, in a, a sovereign God. We don't, we don't look to him as if, as if his shoulders are big enough to, to withstand our questions. We're, we're probably, in a lot of ways, intellectually inhonest. We think it, but we won't say it to God. Let me let you in on a little secret. God knows when you question him, even if you don't say it. Which is why it's so important and really so telling when we see these passages in the Old Testament where we have very real, and I'll admit, extremely difficult questions that Habakkuk is raising. And we all go, ooh, is he allowed to say that to God? But note something. Note Habakkuk's attitude. He first says, I don't understand how this stuff is happening. But the reality is, is in the first, in the first sentence or in the first section, he's, he's not really addressing something that, that is hard. He sort of is. But I think most of us, we realize that Christians are not perfect. Followers of God are not perfect. And, and God is patient and he's, he's merciful to us. And so when we see something happening in the church, when we see injustice in the church, oftentimes we go, ah, oh, man, I really wish that was different, but I'm not necessarily going to turn my back on God. But then when things start to get really serious, 
like we start to question whether or not God himself raises up the Chaldeans. And I used last week, I used the example because we don't quite get it. We don't quite, the, the, the Babylonians, they're not fresh in our minds. Imagine again Habakkuk saying, uh, or God saying to Habakkuk, I'm raising up ISIS. It's a very different situation for us. Now we start to go, well, maybe I don't want to follow this God. But did you see attitude, the, the, the attitude of Habakkuk? Did you notice it in the words that he says, you are from everlasting. O Lord, my God, my Holy One, O Rock, Everything about the attitude of Habakkuk is not, is not questioning because he's, he's losing his, his sight of who God truly is. But rather, it's in the sight of who God truly is that he has these questions. When, we really, when it really boils down to who is, who is in control, if we're not thinking the way Habakkuk is thinking, if we're not speaking and acting the way Habakkuk does, I don't know if we truly get it. And perhaps we don't have the right to ask God when we don't give him the credit he's deserved. We live in a, we live in a time now with Christ as our, as our mediator, and we have, become, we have been brought into an extremely personal relationship, but don't for a minute diminish the, the magnitude and, and the might and the majesty of the God of this universe. Habakkuk doesn't, and, and I don't think any of the writers of the Old Testament who question God do either. He says, look, I get it. Still in verse 12. You have ordained them as a judgment. You have established them for reproof. He says, I get what you're doing. He said, Habakkuk, his first, right? The people, the leaders of Israel, they're failing. And God says, my plan is I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans. And Habakkuk recognizes that by God raising up the Chaldeans, like he raised up the, like the, he raised up the Moabites, and the Ammonites, and the Amalekites, and the Philistines, and the Assyrians before the, 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 the Babylonians. God, Habakkuk recognizes that God is raising up the Chaldeans for a purpose, and not just for violence, but for discipline and judgment and correction. He says, I get it. You are God, and you have the right to do this. I think probably had the same mentality that, that Paul does in, in Romans 9. What right does the clay have to say to the potter, you have no right to make me what you wish? He says, I get it. And I think in between verse 12 and 13, there should be a really big, but wait a minute. He says, you are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent? And this is the important one. And remain silent when wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. See, Habakkuk, when he's looking at the people of, of Judah and the leaders of the people of Judah, he's like, yeah, these guys are messing up, but they ain't nothing compared to the Babylonians. 
They're not going out killing people just because they want to kill people. They're not making mountains out of, out of the dirt and then wiping it out just because they have power and strength. They're still better people than the, than the Babylonians. So God, how on earth can you allow these more wicked people to punish the more righteous? That's where things get difficult. Right? That's when, that's when we start, that's what divides followers of God and those who turn away. When these questions arise, the question that Habakkuk is asking is what divides us. Because we look at the world and we see horrible injustice happening all the time. Correct? You hear on the news a child who has been kidnapped, basically imprisoned, molested, violated for years. And then you go, where's God? If God was truly who he said he was, he would stop this. This is the most difficult question that we ask. This is the most difficult question that we ask. But I think we should ask it. He says, why is it that the wicked win out over the righteous? Or perhaps we can say in a different way, the wicked over the over those who can't defend themselves. Because then he goes on, verse, verse 14, 15, and 16, he, he compares mankind with the fish of the sea. Any fishermen? Anybody like to fish? Sometimes you go fishing, actually probably for most of you who are not maybe professional fishermen, is you go fishing with a fishing pole. You cast it out, put bait on the hook, and the fish comes up, sees that bait, and goes, mm, hungry, bite, caught the fish. The fish has no other mechanism other than that looks like something that I should bite, or it doesn't look like something I should bite. They have no defense, at least most of the fish that you're, unless you're fishing for shark, and you're doing it in the middle of the water, and the, and the shark can attack you back. There's no defense, right? And, and this isn't even what we're talking about. We're talking about net fishing. We're talking about going out and taking your net, and you go, and you sit on the water, and there's fish underneath, and you take the net, and you throw it in, and there's weights, and it comes down to catch the fish, and pull them in. They have zero, zero, zero defense. What Habakkuk says here, he's like, you, you have raised up these Chaldeans so much so that all the rest of the world has become defenseless fish. It's not like the Philistines from, from the book of Judges and Joshua. right? The Philistines, God raises the Philistines up, but he raised them up just enough to defeat the people of Israel for a time. And the reality is, is the fights that happened, the wars that happened between Philistia and Israel were hard fought. Babylon was not a hard fought win. It was a, it was a massacre. It was a huge, massive army coming across and wiping everybody out. With hardly even a flinch. The world has become like fish because of this nation. And he asks in verse, in verse 17. 
Is she then to keep on emptying his nets and mercilessly killing nations forever? Raised up this nation. When does it end? Again, let's check out Habakkuk's heart here. Verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, do we do this? He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. Who's he? It's God. He says, and what I, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk, he says, I'm going to go out to the highest place that I can get to. Right? We presume that Habakkuk is in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, sounded, is surrounded by, uh, by a wall. And periodically on that wall, strategically placed are what's called watchtowers. They were taller than everything. Not, we're not talking about 100-story buildings like in, in cities, but we're talking about probably a five-story tower on the top of the mountain, the mount that was, Jerusalem was on. And so when you stand on this, on this watchtower, you can see for miles. And the purpose of that is whenever an, a, a, an attacking army comes, you can see them from 10, 20 miles away, and you can sound the bells, get all the, all the civilians in, protect them in the gates of the city and in the, in the, in the surrounded walls of the city, and send your army out to defend. Habakkuk goes, here's, I, 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 I'm having a very difficult time understanding how this is you being a righteous God. I don't get it, but I want to know. Again, many of us stop. Many of us look at life in the midst of pain and suffering, and we go, God can't possibly be good. And we walk away. Habakkuk doesn't. He goes to the towers. He says, I don't get it. You told me I wouldn't believe it. But, but I recognize, I, I understand that I am puny. And you are God. And so I will look. I will do all that I am. I will strain my sight to see you respond to this accusation against you. And the Lord answers. Verse 2. It says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Write it down. You know, it's great when God answers us. And I think many people in this room have, have felt God answer them in prayers, Supplications for friends and family and, and intercession for, for those who are were lost, finally come to a saving faith. We know when God answers us from time to time, but you know how great it is when God says, put it on paper. Actually, you know, you know what he did? He's, he doesn't say put it on paper. He says, write it in a stone tablet. You know what else was written on a stone tablet? The Ten Commandments. The more serious God gets about what he wants to say to his people, the more permanent the medium is. 
that it's set on. He says, write it down. Plainly on a tablet. So that he may run who reads it. Anybody have a phone? And has ever have you ever made a phone call to share information that you have learned with somebody that you care about? Everybody raise your hands because you've all done it. You live in the 21st century. You probably all have smartphones. There's a few people who question that. Anybody ever been on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, iMessenger? Anybody ever been on the Internet? We have instant, instant, instant communication with literally everyone on earth. If the Queen of England dies in the next hour, every person on earth pretty much will know about it within 20 minutes. You know how long that would take in the ancient world? Months. Why? Because the way you got information was to give it to a messenger who would take it and herald that message to the cities. And because the message is urgent, they would run or ride a horse from city to city and they would shout it in the streets. God says, make this message plain, make it simple, make it understandable, and make it so you don't have to think about it when you're running from city to city. It's just immediately in your mind so that you get it, you understand it, and you can tell everybody about it. Let there be no hindrance. What is this message that he says, verse 3? For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, and it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. Like death. He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. And I'm going to cheat a little bit. And I'm going to tell you what follows in the rest of chapter 2. What follows are five woes. Anybody know what a woe is? Anybody ever used the word woe in a regular everyday conversation? Woe to that person. Not like woe, woe. But woe is a is a, is, a, is a prophetic uh, terminology that means uh, judgment is coming. Buckle up. Or five woe passages. Woe to him, woe to him, woe to him. Go on. God says in what we will cover the next couple of weeks, that judgment is coming to those who violate his rules, his laws, his commands. His kingdom. Judgment is coming. But before we get to judgment is coming, we have to recognize God's timing. He says, listen. Write this down. Make it plain. If it seems like it's not coming, it is. If you think it's slow, it's not. For I... In control. In Second Peter chapter three, 
You don't necessarily have to turn there if you don't want. You can if you would like. I'm just going to read it for you. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We are clay pots. We are inanimate objects that have no idea the magnitude of what happens on this earth. I've said this before, and undoubtedly I will say it again. If we had to control what was happening in this world, it would be a sad place. God, God has His plan. And not only does He have His plan, but He is enacting His plan. He is enacting His plan at His timing. Because while the statement, God is just, is 100% true, so is the statement, God is merciful. See, we think that these two statements cannot coexist. But in God they do. And we, finite, at times worthless and arrogant beings, we don't get it. Even when it's plainly told to us. Did you notice something, though, in the middle here of God's response? He tells us that wine is a traitor, arrogant men who, who are never at rest, and then he goes on these woes. He tells us judgment is, in fact, coming. But did you notice what he says in verse 4? He said, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the, the righteous shall live by his faith. What is he talking about? See, a lot of times in our pursuit of what we call righteousness, we end up being just as wicked as everybody else. Because the reality is we have no right to speak judgment on those who are around us. But what God calls us to, even in the midst of His sovereign hand at work, is, is righteousness manifest in faith. And I think what He means here in, by faith is, is not as much saving faith, relinquishing our control over salvation in our own lives over to Christ Jesus, but trust. Not only a trust, an obedient trust to God's work. Because we, so often, we get caught up in what I would do or how I would do it, and yet God says, whoa, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than you. Imagine for a minute 
even, even thinking that when Babylon crashes through the walls in Jerusalem and starts to kill people who are around you and burn the houses to the ground and then, and then venture into the temple and burn it to the ground, do you think any Israelite ever would have thought, that's God at work? But you know what happened because of that? The people of Israel realized their foolishness and cried out to the Lord, we, we desperately need you. Do you think for any moment that when Peter and John and James were standing looking at the cross with a man who didn't really even look like this Jesus of Nazareth, do you think they thought this is, this is God's plan? God's plans are bigger more complex, and more perfect than ours. And we, as righteous individuals, or those who might seek after righteousness, or those who place our faith in the righteousness of the work of Christ, we have nothing else to hold on to but God's goodness in His work. And so we relinquish control to Him. We place our trust and our hope in His work. And not only do we place our, our trust in Him, but we recognize that God has shown Himself to be this working God from the very beginning. The pages of the Old Testament, we see story after story after story of seeming loss to wickedness, and yet God was in control. We see a seeming loss on the cross of Christ, and yet God was in control. And we could go even to today, we could see a loss, a seeming loss to wickedness in World War II, and yet God was in control. God is in control. He has shown himself to be so. Now this doesn't answer the question. This doesn't make the this doesn't make things easy by any stretch. But this is the hope we have. God is in control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God in heaven, we thank you. We want to place our hope and our trust, our faith, upon the, the good news that your scripture teaches us. And when we see brokenness around us, You are in control. Or we also recognize that you are not, you are not the author of our sin. We are the ones who sin and have corrupted. We are the ones who have put ourselves into this situation, but we are so thankful, Lord, that you did not step away, but instead have used our brokenness to patiently wait to draw souls to you. We are thankful that in times when we have failed, that your merciful hand has been, has been stayed so that you can continue to change and transform us.
Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus, who was the ultimate picture of a plan that didn't seem to be right. That he went to the cross, he suffered and he died, so that we, who had turned our backs on him, might be saved. Father, I thank you and I praise you. Pray this in your precious and holy Son, Jesus.